My name is Patrick Ridout. I am uh, generally considered to be a comic scholar. I write articles and papers and all that fun stuff on this, uh, on this subject. Uh, and recently, I've been kind of obsessing over superhero origins because of a recent development. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the origins of um, heroes and villains within wartime conflicts, as well as what we have kind of morphed it into over the years. So um, that's what we're going to do today. Uh, so a couple of questions for you guys to consider while I'm up here talking. Um, so what comic characters had origins in wartime and what uh, ways did that shape them? Uh, how do we adapt characters from older generations of war to newer versions of the same? How do the values and treatments of these characters change over time? And with war shifting in scope, uh, where do we go from here, right? So just some things to ponder while I'm going through all this stuff. So why am I doing this? Uh, first of all, mainstream comics, uh, surprisingly, always used war as a narrative device, right? Uh, ever since World War II. Uh, World War II is really when it kind of exploded. We had comics during World War I, but it wasn't really as acknowledged as it is World War II. Um, war always serves as a compelling backdrop to series. We see it as set dressing. We see it as events for heroes to play around in, create conflict, that kind of stuff. But the origins of heroes within war seem to always have a very unique dynamic, a very strange and outlying uh, set of morality or values or however you want to term it. Um, and up until a few months ago, we were generating new stories from the current conflict. Um, all the way up through uh, the Afghanistan war, we've been seeing um, conflicts and uh, events and comic storylines taking place within that. So I wanted to take a quick uh, check and look at a few of these. Now, we're not going to get into everything, just a heads up, I may skip over one of your favorite comic characters. You may say, oh, you forgot about this. Unfortunately, we only have a limited amount of time and we don't want to be here for six hours. Um, so we'll start with World War II. Um, and I want to start with a little background on where we start with World War II, because World War II is kind of where everything crystallizes. Because at this point in time, comics have been adventure stories, right? At this point in time, we're talking about the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, right? Generally, comics are aimed at young children. Generally, they're adventure stories, light stories. We're not going to deal with really heavy topics. Now, that being said, I'm not talking about the mature set of comics like the horrors or the um, more mature uh, adventure stories, but we're talking about mainstream comics here. We're talking about what you would find in the drugstore, what you would find in the comic book store. So Marvel, DC, action comics, that kind of stuff. Um, so first of all, there are two school, schools of thought when World War II starts, right? World War II is a heavy topic. World War II is a war. How do we approach war within comics? There's two schools of thought to this. One is we need to avoid it entirely, right? Completely cut it off. We're not going to acknowledge it. We're not going to deal with it. Um, versus take a hard pro-America stance, right? Rah, 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 America, 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 right? Uh, Marvel and DC, uh, interestingly enough, were both run by Jewish uh, creators at this time. So it does lend an inst interesting dynamic to that at, the at this period of time. And we have, of course, the ignore, 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 but we also have the aggressively we are going to end the conflict ourselves uh, style of art. Um, so the avoidance is where we really settle, first of all, right? Uh, comics are going to avoid major political issues due to a few factors at this time, right? America, for those of you who don't know, at this time was an isolationist nation. Um, we don't want to get involved in conflicts overseas. We don't want to get involved in all that. Let's just focus on ourselves at home, right? Uh, also, comics are for children. This has changed in recent years, obviously, but comics at this point in time are viewed specifically for children, right? We don't want to deal with heavy topics within them. Uh, also, the newish um, comic code of authority, comic code authority, however you want to say it, um, basically saying that we cannot talk about certain topics. We cannot approach 
uh, certain issues, and we don't want to get in trouble and get banned from places that do not accept comics not under the Comic Code. For those of you who don't know, the Comic Code Authority basically says that um, any mainstream comic under this label set will not do anything mature, won't discuss drugs, won't discuss war, will have limited amounts of violence, et cetera, et cetera. So if we talk about war, we're going to get ugly real fast, right? Um, fears of boycott uh, from pro-Germany fans at the time. Uh, and Americas didn't want war stories at this point in time. The popular narratives were adventure stories, right? We're going to go find something. Right? So, of course, this leads, uh, for a few months, we have basically people avoiding the war, avoiding the topic, all that stuff. But then uh, the Jewish writers basically get fed up. Um, both the art artists and writers uh, both agree to start doing things. Um, this tends to wind up with uh, storylines as Superman uh, basically coming through, wiping out all opposition. Uh, capturing Mussolini and Hitler and tying up the war in about 10 panels total. Um, many, of these many of the comic uh, world were Jewish, including Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, so the this does tend to lend itself to uh, what happens. So Marvel, Marvel decides they're going to go all in, right? They're not just going to have superheroes created within the conflict. They're going to have all of their heroes across the board fight, right? So you see every hero show up in World War II. However, we're not really going to talk too much about, say, the Fantastic Four showing up in World War II, or um, Namor uh, showing up in World War II, Angel Man, any of those um, showing up in World War II. Now, one particular thing of interest to me, DC functions in a fictionalized society, right? Their cities, their landscapes, everything are fiction, right? There's no Gotham. There's no uh, Metropolis, that, that kind of stuff. There are allegories to cities that exist in real life, but DC functions in a fictionalized world, right? Meanwhile, Marvel functions in the real world. Spider-Man lives in New York, you know? Everybody lives in a city that actually exists, right? So, this allows Marvel to take a direct stance um, and put their characters in a realistic conflict, right? Uh, because they're already based in the real world. Now, Marvel dives directly into the stories of the war at this time. DC tends to avoid it. DC tends to put things on their cover that are very America-centric, right? They put on, put on shields and buy war bonds and all these other things, but they don't go deeper than the covers. Meanwhile, Marvel's creating stories where, you know, Daredevil battles, <laughs> battles Hitler uh, just directly, right? So it is interesting to note. And also, I do want to note, um, for the people looking for this kind of stuff, there is a racial and racist uh, aspect to this because, unfortunately, uh, back in the day, uh, the Japanese were portrayed uh, pretty poorly as an other, as an alien, as kind of a monstrous uh, creature, which, not okay, but I do have to acknowledge that simply because it exists so prevalently throughout this whole thing. Um, and unfortunately, Marvel was more overtly racist than DC, and my current theory, my, you know, from reading everything, my theory is just because Marvel is based in the real world, was doing you know, on-the-ground conflict, they were much more, they were much more um, able to see what was going on and adapt that way. And unfortunately, that reflects in a very poor manner uh, from, from their st uh, stories in World War II. Uh, but let's get started with the actual origins of these uh, heroes and villains and however you want to classify them. We're going to start with Captain America because Captain America, that's kind of the core one, right? That's the one that everybody thinks of. Marvel, Marvel does a war hero, it's Captain America, right? Um, he's arguably the most famous example of this because he was literally created as propaganda. He was created to literally punch Hitler in the face. This is the cover of his first issue where he punches Hitler in the face. 
This is the entire story of Captain America. He, he exists to fight against Nazis, right? That's what Stan Lee wanted. That's what Jack Kirby wanted. Um, that's why he exists. Um, he represents a version of the noble American spirit in giant quotes there. Um, he has a very black and white ideology, right? America good, everything else bad, period, right? Um, at least at this time. I do want, do want to give that caveat. Like When he starts out, he's a much more black and white character than he is now. But at the time, we are talking about a purely America is good. Everything else is bad, right? Um, updates are very difficult for the character because guess what? He's a World War II vet. That's his whole personality, right? Captain America is cemented in World War II. Unfortunately, we can't really update that because that's how his character came to be. Uh, newer stories involve him needing to update his thinking. We saw this in the movies, obviously. We see it in uh, any current story for them, that he has to update his thinking to reflect the current time. Uh, and he has shifted further and further and further away from reality. He does not fight in realistic conflicts at this point. He fights in you know, fictionalized space battles most of the time. Um, and then I do want to uh, give a um, little shout, shout to the other side of the conflict, which unfortunately, a lot of these comics are lost to time simply because of the war and because the uh, war destroyed so much uh, property, we can't really find a whole lot of them anymore. Uh, and I'm going to butcher this name, unfortunately, but uh, Suho Ta Tagawa um, created a character called uh, Norikuro. He was a um, Japanese soldier fighting on the front lines. He was a little dog that did this and kind of is credited as one of the first or possibly the first um, propaganda uh, character in manga. Um, unfortunately, like I said, um, not a whole lot exists anymore. They just don't. They were all destroyed, unfortunately. Um, I'd love to see some more of it because it's fascinating seeing the other side of things, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so, immediate aftermath, we do have to acknowledge how the war changed our viewpoints um, because during the conflict, we're both very rah, 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 our side, our side, our side, right? But there is a winner and a loser. Um, in World War II, obviously Japan lost, has some uh, issues that stem from their comics, from their material, not just their comics, all of their media had to be censored by uh, the American General HQ. Um, they basically prevented anything from being anti-American. So anything anti-American was prohibited from being published for years and years and years. So a lot of their stories turn into almost America-style stories, right? This is where we see uh, Tezuka's Astro Boy start to show up, right? It's a super superhero modeled after um, the superheroes in America. He goes around saving people. Obviously, it's got a more Japanese bent, but it's not. Uh, it's very, very reminiscent of a lot of the superheroes that we see in our comics, right? Um, and unfortunately, uh, while Jap Japan's um, views shifted very quickly, uh, basically forced to change by the circumstances, America decided to basically revel in everything. Uh, it turns into a glory to all American things, right? And to a lesser extent, British, uh, all Western things, right? This transforms America into the standard of good in comics. Um, and you can see this throughout the Cold War. You can see this throughout every conflict uh, since when Captain America shows up, he is fighting for America, and America, by default, is the good guy. End of story, right? Um, obviously, this is uh, nuanced at this point in time, but we're talking about the 50s, 60s, 70s right now, where things aren't nearly as gray. Um, and, and like you can see here, like uh, Captain America comic smasher, he shows up and you know, beats up the you know, red menace and everything. Um, so difference in perspective, America fo focuses nowadays, 
On the western side of things, we don't acknowledge the, the uh, Pacific conflict because there's too many problems that have come out uh, since uh, history has been revealing itself. Uh, many of the evils of the Pacific War were originally racially, racially biased, like I said. Um, comics nowadays try to avoid that because, hey, guess what? Nazis, Nazis are always pretty bad, right? Nazis are a, ba a bad time. They're a bad guy, right? A default evil. So if you put a Nazi in your comic, you've got a bad guy, period, right? Um, so we focus on the Western conflict because that gives us an easy out for a villain, right? Um, and we also tend to ignore all the conflicting viewpoints, right? Um, meanwhile, Japan, in their post-war um, second, in their post-war years, basically, uh, they decide to start creating characters and heroes and villains that are based around broken soldiers. They have come home from the war after the conflict has ended, and they are either very severely troubled people or they're completely broken. Um, there's a difference from the glory in war, everything, you know, great and good, and, you know, we're fighting the good fight uh, that American comics have, because um, we want to, you know, kind of contemplate what happened. We want to process what happened. A lot of these authors become comic, uh, become comic authors. A lot of these ex-vets or these vet veterans come back and become comic authors and start telling their stories instead, right? Um, these are often aimed at adults. They're not necessarily going to pull their punches, so they're not aimed at children a lot of times. Uh, heroes oftentimes were drifters, were homeless, were in some sort of sick state, right? Um, and a few of these uh, you can always go and try and find. Uh, someone like uh, Suge, someone like Tatsumi, someone like... Uh, Barefoot Gen's author, um, all of these give quiet contemplative stories about loss, about dealing with coming home to a broken world, about dealing with um, sadness, loss, depression, all of these issues. Um, one I really wanted to highlight was uh, Mizuki. Um, Shigeru Mizuki is basically uh, a very, very prolific writer in Japan for uh, Japanese manga. Um, he's known mostly for his stories around myths, but he is a war vet, survived um, the Pacific conflict, came home and became staunchly anti-war and told his stories through his comics. Um, you can always find them in uh, things like Showa A History, Onward Towards Our Noble Death, and he created a uh, biography on Hitler um, that is very different than what we would expect from um, a, a, an American-centric version. I also do want to uh, highlight uh, Nakazawa and Barefoot Gen. Barefoot Gen is arguably the response to American dro America dropping the bomb on Japan. Uh, this man survived Hiroshima. This man uh, was very close to the uh, actual bomb itself. Like, he was living in Hiroshima at the time. Um, he, this obviously becomes his life goal to work against nuclear sediment um, and really, really push for the evils of nuclear weapons, right? Um, he set, set out to create kind of a semi-autobiographical um, series called Barefoot Gen. Gen is a fictionalized version of himself and about 30 other people that he has talked to um, and created a character that kind of encompasses all of their stories. Because if you read Barefoot Gen, no person would ever have that many uh, issues, that many conflicts, that many problems happen to them all at once, unless they had the uh, luck that just bottomed out somewhere along the way. Because everything, he goes through every single aspect, from the poverty to the sickness, uh, friends and family dying, uh, from the radiation poisoning, he talks about um, different differences of you know people having to deal with American soldiers who move into town and how they have to deal with all of that. He talks about every aspect, no matter how um, gruesome, no matter how uh, perverse, no matter how um, we don't want to talk about it. He kind of puts his lens directly on it. And interestingly enough, 
this is not a pro-Japanese comic. He blames everybody. Every, it's not, it's not anti-American, pro-Japan, like a lot of things that you would think would be from a conflict of you know, post-war Japan where America dropped a bomb and destroyed your uh, home country and all this other stuff. You would think it might be a little more anti-American than normal. This was not the case, actually. He blames everybody, including uh, the Japanese government, which is also why it's still challenged for content in libraries and schools around the country in Japan today, because it's seen as very anti-Japanese government, because he says they're the ones to blame as well. They're the ones who got us into this mess. Um, and so I do want to highlight this. It is ex it's an excellent read. Everyone should encounter it at some point. Um, so, moving on, we have the switch. The switch is, of course, where we stop viewing conflict as black and white. World War II is pretty black and white. Any media piece you see, it's very black and white. One side is good, one side is evil. End of story, right? We don't want to talk about any nuance with that. Now we're moving into the gray areas, right? As history reveals itself, we realize it's not so black and white. It's not so um, good versus evil. There's good and bad things about every side, right? So instead of Captain America storming the palaces of Germany and you know, punching Hitler in the face, um, we had smaller stories focused around you know, men who were dealing with conflict down on the ground, all of these other things, which starts leading us into the Korean War. The Korean War is kind of where we first start seeing this. There are only a couple of characters in the Marvel Universe that are associated with the Korean War. Reed Richards and uh, Ben Grimm, AKA Mr. Fantastic and The Thing, uh, both were pilots within Korea. Um, it's part of the origin story to prevent the spread of communism, right? We look at the conflict, we say, at the time, we're still in black and white mode, right? The communism thing, it's a bad thing. So we, everything that we do is fighting against the bad thing. End of story, right? Um, but this is basically where he starts in a black and white pose, but he has been over time changing, right? Uh, we're moving into a version where he's dealing with PTSD, where he's dealing with flashbacks, where he's dealing with um, issues stemming from the war starting to show up. Now, I hear some of you probably thinking, it's like, wait, Reed Richards, Reed Richards fought in the Korean War, that'd make him like 90 years old, wouldn't it? Right? Because he was 30 in the Korean War at the time, officially. Um, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm were both in their 30s, which is almost unheard of for a comic character to be in their 30s at this time, right? Most uh, Marvel characters are in their 20s or teens, right? To better sympathize with the audience, right? Um, so Reed Richards always has been a slightly older hero. Fought in the Korean War. This was written in 1965, right? So um, as flashbacks. As well, someone you might not think of as being a war vet, Charles Xavier, um, Revealed in 1965 again um, that Professor X had fought in the uh, Korean War. However, one caveat for this, I have only ever found one mention of it. It showed up once and then was never put anywhere ever again. So somewhere in there, it may or may not be canon, but it has been mentioned before, so I do want to pause and acknowledge that. More on... More though, I want to talk about Vietnam because Vietnam's where we see a ton of heroes show up, right? Um, American comics, having you know done so before with World War II, jump headfirst into it, right? We're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna you know make propaganda for America. We're gonna you know be rah rah America first, all that fun stuff. Um, unfortunately, uh, obviously the Vietnam War was not a black and white issue. It was not a popular issue. It was not something that the public really enjoyed, right? Um, so propaganda started really strong. We're really, really going to lean into the anti-communist. America's going to save everybody. Um, but 
public sentiment basically says, we don't like this. And so Marvel starts pulling it back, right? Uh-oh, we've got we've to pull some stuff back here. Um, comics started off by reflecting a seriously, deeply anti-communist bent, uh, became way less hardline over time. Uh, this is especially prevalent in Iron Man. So Iron Man, first appearing in uh, Tales of Suspense, obviously in 1963. 1963 is a very interesting year for him to appear because it's about a year and a half before the Gulf of Tonkin incident, right? Um, so he is written by Stan Lee, uh, Larry Lieber, uh, Don Heck, and uh, Jack Kirby, and he's Cold War themed. There's a reason why Tony Stark is a billionaire genius businessman, and that's because he is the crystallization of capitalism to fight against communism, right? He is a businessman. He represents all the American spirit, right? And he's captured by a, a Vietnam um, commander called uh, Wong Chu, uh, forced to create weapons for the communists. He, of course, you know, creates a suit of armor to escape, escapes with his life, and then dedicates his time to fighting communism, which is why his main villains are people like the Black Widow, the Crimson Dymo, and uh, the Mandarin. Uh, the Mandarin leans a little bit into the racist side of things, but originally it um, kind of lined up with the China is communist, so we have to have a Chinese villain within there. Um, that is where the Mandarin actually comes from, and the Mandarin actually becomes his kind of nemesis. So he's the Joker to Batman, right? We are talking about like the you know, kind of top villain of the series. Um, unfortunately, right, um, this is a way for Stan Lee to write super anti-communist messages, storylines, paralleling the, uh, you know, Cold War sentiment at the time, right? We're all with, you know, the Red Scare in Congress and, you know, people getting, you know, people creating lists and blacklists and all this other stuff going on at the time. Um, so he really leans into this, right? Because Stan Lee, for most of his career, follows popular uh, demand, follows popular opinion, right? Um, so he creates very hard line, we are going to be uh, pro-capitalist uh, pro and anti-communist. A uh, year and a half before the uh, Gulf of Tonkin incident, uh, Iron Man was flying around D Vietnam, uh, De defeating communists, defeating communist states all through, you know, the uh, Southeast, Southeast uh, Asia. Um, he was seriously, overtly anti-communist. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, but they started dialing it back after a while. Um, and then also, additionally with Iron Man, uh, we saw the birth of War Machine uh, from Iron Man's partner, a pilot he rescues called uh, Rhodey Rhodes, James Rhodes. Um, you all have seen him in the uh, movies, but before this, he is also one of the very few uh, black heroes in Marvel for a very long time, right? We're starting, Marvel has always tried to incorporate uh, diversity. That's a whole other topic, but um, one thing to note, uh, Marvel, did have a black superhero uh, within the Iron Man comics. So uh, War Machine, though, obviously a little on the nose here, right? He's like the quintessential like power of American army kind of character, right? He's actually, you know, funded by the American army in later uh, storylines. He becomes America's might in, um, in the Vietnam War, right? Uh, however, as war atrocities kind of showed up in all of our um, media, unfortunately he was phased out pretty hardcore real fast, right? It's difficult to have a very, you know, absolute weaponed, weaponed out on every aspect, you know, one man destroying machine show up when you're talking about you know, atrocities being committed in small villages and everything else. It's a little difficult to tell those stories. So, um, unfortunately, he got phased out, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your opinion. Um, he drifted around in the background for a time, uh, but 
he definitely did sh start showing up again when the Gulf War happened, because the Gulf War is that exact sediment, right? When we went into Iraq the first time with Kuwait and everything, right? Um, Gulf War was all about rah, 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 America. Guess who showed back up, right? Um, so back to Iron Man for a second. Uh, he eventually becomes just a generic hero, um, helped found the Avengers, uh, and honestly, because of he's so anti-communist, he becomes kind of outdated. As we start talking to you know, Russia and tr starting to work out our differences and everything, uh, he becomes kind of irrelevant, right? So he gets kind of pushed back and pushed back and pushed back some more. Um, he becomes basically a C-tier uh, hero. He shows up for you know, Avengers comics. His most famous story at this time before the movies uh, showed up was a story about how he was addicted to drinking called uh, Demon in a Bottle, I believe. Um, but he's relegated, you know, kind of the, to the background uh, and then becomes almost villainous because as we see a pushback against capitalism and, you know, 80s businessmen kind of style uh, push for, uh, you know, kind of hyper-capitalistic uh, aspects, he starts becoming almost a villain all of a sudden. This is what he morphs into because he represents all the bad things about capitalism too, right? He's a billionaire or trillionaire, depending on which story you're talking about. Um, you know, kind of abuses that pri privilege because at his core, Iron Man is not really a superhero. Iron Man is a guy in a suit. He, his superpower is money, right? So, um, this kind of culminates, obviously, in the Civil War storyline, uh, a Marvel-wide event. I know we only got one movie in it, so that's where probably most people are familiar with, but uh, the Civil War event within Marvel was, a was every series doing the same event. So every series from Thor to Iron Man to Captain America to the X-Men to everybody, everybody across the board had this event called Civil War. Now, the movie tells you the exact same story, right? It's one side wants to unmask everybody, wants everybody to be held accountable. The other side says you can't do it, right? Iron Man uh, lands on the side of the government, lands on the side of you know, pro-censoring the heroes. We have to take, a, take away all of their you know, um, hiding abilities and everything else. You are going to be held accountable, right? Which obviously, as a comic reader, you want your superheroes to stay masked, right? So this culminates, obviously, this is one of the you know, final panels of the conflict, or one of the most uh, iconic panels of the conflict. They even recreated it in the movie, right? Um, however, something to acknowledge, with the movies showing up, his story changes drastically, right? At this point in time, he was not so warmongering. He was not so pro-war, right? He was a genius scientist that happened to be ca captured, but he wasn't necessarily on the ground designing weapons to destroy the enemies of the United States, right? That's not where he started out, but um, with the update to the movie, they made him a lot more aggressive, right? He creates a lot of weapons, specifically for the U.S. Army. He, of course, gets captured, realizes that his weapons are the ones, you know, destroying people, killing people, innocents, all that stuff. He almost gets killed by his own weapon, right? Um, and it turns from capitalism versus communism to a, I built these weapons, I'm the one who needs to stop them. It's peace through war, right? I will destroy everything that will kill everybody else myself. I'll do it personally. That's what he morphs into. And then, of course, we do have to talk about the Punisher, uh, one of the other gigantic war vets um, out there. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, he was actually modeled after the Executioner book series. Um, and I don't know why it didn't. Hold on one second. There we go. The Executioner book series, um, which is basically the exact same story. A man... Uh, has his family killed by the mafia, and then takes a journey to punish and destroy the entirety of the mafia. 
That's where the Executioner book series showed up. Uh, it ran for years and years and years as an actual adventure book series. It was a monthly book thing, right? Um, so the Punisher is basically that reflection. Uh, you can see from the original cover, you know, the guy had a uh, giant bazooka. Guess what an early version of the comics had, right? Um, but created by uh, Gary Conway, uh, the Punisher was a Vietnam vet, became anti uh, vengeful and anti-hero in order to avenge his family who was killed by gangs instead of mafia. It's totally different, guys. What are you talking about, right? You can't, you can't get me in trouble there. Um, he originally appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, this is his first appearance in 1974 uh, as a foil to Peter's no-kill policy, right? Spider-Man's a good guy. He doesn't really kill his villains, he wraps them up in webs and, you know, turns them into the police, and the police take it from there, right? Um, meanwhile, the Punisher's like, no, shoot everybody, ask questions later, right? Um, he shows up to kill Spider-Man through a misunderstanding, immediately shows himself to be an elite super ex-soldier. Uh, um, from the onset, he has never been a hero. The Punisher has never been, nor will be, a hero. Marvel is very specific about him being an anti-hero at best, a villain at worst, right? Um, it's got a warlike mentality where evil is exterminated, there's no room for mercy, right? Uh, very different style vet from Captain America. We've moved on from Captain America, who's, you know, the golden boy and, you know, represents the goodness of everybody. This is a vet that comes back from the war and applies all of his knowledge from the war to the streets of New York, right? Um, this becomes a channel and a reflection of our society, right? It's a channel for the rage shown by the soldiers on the battlefield. It's also a reflection of what we're doing in other countries. Well, you're okay with it when it happens in Vietnam, right? You're not okay with it when it's on, you know, Main Street, USA. So he's doing the exact same tactics. That's the whole idea of the character. He does the exact same tactics as he would in a war zone, only he's not in a war zone, right? He never really comes back from the war. Um, key point in the character is how he views the world. His viewpoint, you know, being that everything's a war. I just apply it to where, whatever situation I have, have, right? When, you know, you're a hammer, every uh, situation looks like a nail, that's basically this. Um, it's also reflected even in like the meta stuff where like the titles of his series are called things like the War Journal, the War Zone, the NOM, the Armory. It's all war-themed, right? So um, something to keep in mind, the Punisher evolves uh, as the decades uh, go on. In the 1980s, uh, the character becomes kind of a larger-than-life crime fighter. Uh, however, um, he always wants it to be, you know, a very harsh critique of... Uh, all of the tactics he used, right? Because the Punisher doesn't, you know, just take people to jail. He always manages to kill people, torture them, some sort of heinous act that we really shouldn't be approving of, right? Um, often updated, the Punisher uh, recently has been updated to come from Afghanistan. Um, it's a very changing narrative. Uh, Punisher has been... Uh, driven by an inability uh, to turn off the battlefield warrior, uh, combined with a desire for vengeance against those who have killed his family, but it's always that, right? Just updated to conflicts, say, the Afghanistan war, right? He comes back and he's an ex-Marine and he's got all the combat training from the most recent war. Um, the portrayal does shift slightly uh, as we shift from Vietnam to the Cold War, the War on Terror, to all these other things, right? The viewpoints do shift slightly, but not a whole lot, right? Most of the backstory for the Punisher just changes out, you know, jungle set dressing for desert set dressing. Um, he has been depicted uh, with a severe case of PTSD nowadays, um, though, of course, he refuses treatment because he's supposed to be kind of psychotic the entire time. Um, also, of note, because it's very important the, uh, to the author and creator of the Punisher um, that I do have to po point out. Um, with, the, with regards of real-world application for the Punisher, um, we do have to make a statement that it is not a good thing that law enforcement is using his uh, symbol. 
Uh, Marvel wants the Punisher to never be a role model. It should never be a role model. This man is doing things that are completely illegal and should not be approved of, right? Um, and a quote from Conway is that the Punisher represents a failure of, the law, of law in order to address the concerns of people who feel abandoned by the legal system, right? It always struck me as stupid and ironic that the members of the police are embracing what is fundamentally an outlaw symbol, right? So they actually did address this within the comic, him actually telling cops off for using his symbol and telling him that they should never strive to be him because he, what he does is not a good thing. There is a good Avenger out there. There is a good superhero out there, a role model named Captain America. Go, go emulate him. Don't emulate me. So I do have to uh, just kind of land on that because it's very important to Conway that we you know, make sure that's everywhere. So I do also want to move on to a couple of other small series. I know I've held you here for a little bit, but um, either way, um, Blood Sea is a manga series from Japan, obviously. Uh, if it's a manga, it's from Japan. Um, but it's a beginning of a super soldier program within uh, a Japanese context uh, where, of course, uh, vampire super soldiers are discovered, tamed, uh, created through some sort of genetic mutation, all that fun stuff. Um, and it's basically a science experiment gone wrong, right? She hunts vampires, but she gets her start in the Vietnam War. That's where she shows up first, right? She's clearly been um, an ancient being of some sort, but now she just shows up in the Vietnam War and fights for various sides. She's basically a mercenary. Um, but this series uses the characters, the uh, vampires, the monsters, as allegories to um, scientists basically pushing beyond what they understand including up to uh, government abuse, up to the nuclear question, obviously scientists creating a super weapon that is completely out of their control. Um, slight connotations with the nuclear uh, question there, right? Um, but it's also used, uh, very interestingly enough, uh, in the counterculture movement of Japan. There were riots and uh, student rebellions during the 60s and 70s. Uh, especially in uh, Tokyo, and a lot of the window dressing uh, shows a Vietnam super weapon showing up in the streets of Tokyo and just absolutely going straight through everything, right? Um, so that, do want to acknowledge that. Also want to talk a little bit about the Afghanistan war and the Gulf and Iraq and a few others, right? Um, so this one's a little different, right? We don't really see a lot of long-term superheroes showing up from Afghanistan, showing up from Iraq, showing up from the Gulf War, right? Instead, what we see is Marvel and DC updating people, updating backstories. Because if you think about it, the Vietnam War has been a, been a few years, and we don't you know, see the Punisher as being 70 years old. That's a bit, a bit different. So, we move everybody from Vietnam and we move them to Afghanistan now. All of their backstories get shifted out, right? Um, honestly, most things not change very much. Like I said, window dressing mostly uh, shifts, you know, jungle for desert versus anything else. Uh, very few new characters uh, came out of these wars except for um, some shorter range ones, uh, war heroes in particular I wanted to touch on because uh, Mark Miller in 2008 started a series called War Heroes in which an alternative timeline America uh, gets nuked uh, by Afghanistan and in order to uh, go through and win the war on terror at this point, um, they create super soldiers with superpowers called war heroes. However, this being Mark Miller, who is a very mature level writing, writer, um, it becomes less uh, heroic saving the day and more punishment for all of our enemies that stand before us. It becomes, it's a very bloody comic, it's a very mature comic, not for the faint of heart. Just FYI, if you go and uh, try and look it up. Um, but the punishment is the point, right? Mark Miller is a very edgy writer. He's a very, very good writer, but he's also kind of uh, one of those that when you walk into him, you're walking into a B-horror movie and you know what you're getting, right? So 
Um, very short run, only a few issues out with a uh, narrow uh, projected long-term uh, strategy. No end in sight. This has not ended yet. However, uh, they keep saying there will be an end at some point. Um, it's not quite a deconstruction of the hero genre. Like, I don't want you getting it confused with Watchmen. I don't want you to get it confused with The Boys, um, where we deconstruct the superhero as a superhero. This is much more uh, just very straightforward, um, uh, you know, focuses on the nitty-gritty of the war uh, versus the noble. Um, so the main question here is where do we go from here, right? Where we go from here is uh, kind of odd because, like I've mentioned a couple of times, problem, comics are aging. Comic artists have started things in the Korean War, have started things in World War II, have started things in the Vietnam War, right? But we keep having to update things. What do we do, right? There is actually a new thing just in the last couple of years, and this is what actually spawned me looking into this talk, uh, and it's called the, the uh, Sion Kong War. The Sion Kong War is a made-up war, um, made up by uh, Mark Wade and, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, uh, Javier uh, uh, Rodriguez uh, in 2009. I always mispronounce that name, unfortunately. Um, uh, basically, character backstories don't make sense anymore, right? Punisher's not 80. You know, Reed Richards is not, you know, 70 years old, 90 years old, however long you want to uh, call him. Um, so what, what we're going to do is we're going to emulate what the Fantastic Four do. The Fantastic Four always have a floating start point of whatever conflict gave them their powers about 15 years behind them, Right? If you've ever wondered why, you know, they got their superpowers in the 50s and, you know, started in the 19, you know, 1960s, uh, but that's never changed, right? Throughout all the movies, their origin story always floats about 10, 15 years behind wherever the story takes place, right? Um, so we're going to create a war for all of the characters based in war to just kind of float behind them for a while, right? No matter where we are in, in time, no matter what conflict we're talking about, what storyline, the Punisher's always going to be involved in a war 15 years behind wherever the storyline is being ta taken place. Um, because obviously he's not 70 years old anymore. Um, we've moved, and you know, they've tried to move it, conflicts, we've moved it up to the Gulf War, we've moved it up to Afghanistan, we've moved them all around to make sure that you know it stays relevant and stays um, logical. But from now on, we have a conflict called the Sion Kong War that's going to float 15 years behind the, uh, the conflict, whatever storyline we're talking about. Um, it's going to be a decade-long war, or decades-long war, I guess I should say, meaning we can account for all different aspects, right? Whether or not we're in the noble stage or whether or not we're in the, you know, down, dirty conflict stage, right? Um, funny enough, they actually took it from an Avengers comic uh, in 1965 where it was mentioned that, you know, it took place as, you know, a communist state ruled by a vill villainous com commissar who gets defeated by Iron Man and uh, all the rest of the Avengers. Uh, but they're going to take that and expand it now. Um, they're going to expand it to, where, uh, to a point where every single war hero can exist simultaneously, right? Uh, this also gives Marvel the ability to move away from reality, right? There's a problem with war. There's a problem with real, uh, real war is that it's ugly. It's mature. We don't want to, you know, give Captain America the you know, backstory where he's, you know, beaten and bloody and dealing with terrorists, you know, down and out, down and out and all the, like, real nasty stuff that we hear about in the news all the time, right? Um, but one, it gives them the ability to not tell those aspects of the war. They can just ignore it and make it more family-friendly when they need to and then up the maturity when they want to. Obviously, Iron Man, 
not going to be nearly as gritty and dirty and, you know, gray as a Punisher story, right? Difference of characters. So we can adjust it however we need to. If we want to make a mature comic, we can make a mature comic. But if we don't, we don't have to anymore. And we don't have to ignore all of the other aspects to tell a clean story. That's the whole point of this. Um, also, it allows Marvel to change it however they want. If it's fiction, they can just make things up, right? Uh, they don't have to deal with it. So a couple of things that have been decided so far. Uh, Folding Circle has discovered uh, the well of all things. Tony Stark, captured and escapes, meets James Rhodes. Uh, Marine Frank uh, Castiglione uh, fights, receives accommodations, kills the enemy sniper that he takes his whole monker from, that he takes his whole um, symbol and uh, motif from, called the monkey. Uh, ben Grimm and Reed Richards now serve as pilots in this war, right? Uh, more are actually being added as we speak. Uh, the one exception, of course, is Captain America. Captain America, too entrenched in World War II, they decided, they made the decision to not do uh, any modifying to Captain America's backstory, which is one of the reasons why his backstory now includes a time travel element of some sort of frozen in time or thrown through a wormhole or something like that in order to adjust. He will always be a World War II vet, no matter what. Um, so just to kind of summarize what I, whatever I've been rambling about. Um, so origins of war heroes turned superheroes may have started off as good versus evil. Uh, American sto spirit uh, example stories, but you know, as always, switches uh, to reflect the popular stances. Um, a difference between history and celebration. That's always been key, right? As more war got more gray, so did the characters from them, right? Captain America versus the Punisher is not going to be the same type of story. Uh, current trends are towards uh, for short form series or updating old heroes to be uh, from new wars, matching values, all of that stuff. And uh, to avoid all of this mess in the future that they've had to do, um, a fictional war has been created to create the characters fresh, current, up to date, and reflective of however they want them to look. So, little conclusion for now. Uh, as comics have grown over the years, war, war's perception has shifted our worldview. It has changed the way we have approached uh, character creation from these events. Uh, switching to a fictional war allows for all these views to be encompassed without conflict or without hurting people. Um, and these shifting views will, of course, uh, evolve as we do.